Hi everyone, we just want to let you know Literally Dead does contain explicit language and some of the topics we talk about can be disturbing and triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to week three. Are we are we're on episode three now, right? Yeah, episode three. All right, going strong. And this episode is based on Valentine's Day and love and romance, kind of, and all that gushy um, mushy stuff that we feel. I guess. Yeah, you know, making it awkward. It's fine. So, <laughs> uh, we should introduce ourselves. I'm Amanda. I'm Sheila. And this is Literarily Dead, um, and we welcome you back for this wonderful, riveting episode that I'm sure will be very closely tied to romance and not at all an angry rant. I'm predicting the future here. Um, <laughs> but since I went first the last two times, we're going to save the dead part for last, and I'm going to let Amanda go first. Yeah. So this is going to be... A weird episode, not only because our uh, awesome random dice is not uh, picking for us, but I know your topic, Sheila. You do. You, just... you do know my topic, and we're not going to mention it right now because it's going to... I mean, obviously, the listeners are going to know because it's probably going to be in the title of the episode, but... There will be clues, um, yeah. We're saving him for last. Yeah. Because I may talk for a while, but I may not talk for long at all. This may be a short episode. We don't know. Anyway, Amanda, all right. I have been dying to hear about what yours is because I have no clue at all. Okay, so because it's this romance and, you know, Valentine's Day. And I mentioned last week my first Valentine's Day as a married woman. We are going to do A Little Tale as Old as Time. We are talking about La Belle at La Bette, also Aww. known as Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> By the so, way, did you know this was my mother's like favorite fairy tale story? Is it? It was. She went to go see it when it was in theaters. It's one of her favorite stories to tell because she took her cousin because she thought she was too old to go by herself. She was like mid-20s <laughs> at this point. Not mid-20s. She was probably, I was born when she was 24. So, like, when she was 21-ish. And um, so she took her cousin, and they didn't touch the popcorn after the previews. Because (laughs) they were just in awe of how beautiful the movie was. That's fair. I love this movie. This is my favorite Disney movie. (laughs) Um, Also, a reason why I chose this, for people who don't know, Sheila, you know, because you were in my wedding. Um, Beauty and the Beast was the central inspiration for my wedding. So... Like, we only had roses, and all the centerpieces were different characters from the movie. Mm-hmm. We drew inspiration from the Disney animated and the live action, but we're going to go much further back. We are going all, all right. the way back to 1740. Actually, no, we're actually going to go even further than that, because this is a tale as old as time. Actually, not as old as time. It's kind of misleading. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so, 
One of the first renditions of this trope, really, was in 500 AD in mm-hmm. India. It was called uh, The Woman Who Married a Snake. Um, the one rendition of this trope that really gets the credit for being the inspiration for Beauty and the Beast is from the second century, and it was Cupid and Psyche, and there's a whole mythology to go with it. We're not going to go into it. Maybe someday we will, but not today. Other variations after 1740, there's one in Russia called Mm -hmm. the Enchanted Zarvich. In China, there is the Fairy Serpent. In English, the Beast is a Small-Toothed Dog. In Danish, Danish is... The Danish are from Holland. Yes? Yes, I'm Danish. So yes, Holland. So in Holland, they have Beauty and the Horse. In Switzerland, they have the Bear Prince. And in Italy, they have uh, Zelinda and the Monster. And in that one, the Beast is a fire-breathing dragon that Zelinda marries. Huh. You know. How we do. So Dragons are cute. Dragons can be cute. Have you seen Toothless? Adorable. I mean, I love them. <laughs> All right. So La Belle at La Bette um, was written by Gabrielle Suzanne Barbeau de, who I don't speak French, Villeneuve, mm-hmm. who was born in November 1685 in Paris. So she published a huge collection of writings, but in 1740, where this story is first published in its original form, it's found in a collection of fairy tale. The original story was around like a hundred pages or a full length novel, so it's literally nowhere near as short as how we know it today. And that is because this other woman comes in named Jean Marie Le Prince de Beaumont, and she rewrites it and abridges it in 1756. Some cool things, kind of cool things, that are just worthy of note is that in everyone's favorite rendition of Beauty and the Beast, a.k.a. Disney, so the princess is, of course, Belle, um, which keeps with the French word for beauty, as we all know from the song called Belle, that there's no wonder that her name means beauty. Um, How you're actually supposed to translate the French work is to read the name as beauty instead of Belle. So her name is actually beauty. And then... Bet, which is, I think, how you pronounce it, um, means a beast, but it also means lacking in intelligence or stupid. In this case, it's a beast who is stupid. Oh. Like, in the story, he cannot keep a conversation going. He is really unintelligent. So, we're actually going to go into the original story mm-hmm. and how different it is from Disney. Oh, I love this. I actually, I um, be, like I said, because I know it's my mother's favorite one, I do know a little bit about this before you go into it. So this is going to be exciting. So we're going to go into Villeneuve's, Villeneuve's original. So this is the 1740 version. Okay. So once upon a time, there was a merchant, and he had 12 children. Six oh. boys and six girls. Beauty is the youngest of all the children. So he's a wealthy merchant and then he loses all his ships due to a storm. Some time passes and he's trying to rebuild his business. 
So the merchant leaves on trips, and he asks each children what they want brought back to them as a gift. And so his daughters are like, oh, you know, I want silks, and I want jewels, and I want gems, and I want all of this stuff. And he asks Beauty what she wants, and she says all she wants is a safe return for her father. (laughs) Well, that's not good enough for the merchants. And then she caves and says that she wants a rose. A very simple request that turns out to be the ultimate downfall. So on his way way home from um, his trip, he has got everything that he has for his other children, except a rose for Beauty. So he finds this abandoned palace, and he finds a rose, and he cuts it. And as we all know, that's where shit hits the fan. Um, he is caught by the beast, and in this rendition, he says to the merchant that one of his daughters must take his place, but they mm-hmm. must return here with no deception. So he must tell them everything. So they need to be informed about the beast, so that there be yeah. no false pretenses. The merchant returns home, and his sons agree to fight him, as men do. And the daughters urge Belle slash Beauty to go because it's her fault that they're in this predicament. Damn bitches. So Belle is taken to the castle under no false pretenses. And mm-hmm. unlike the Disney version, she is given everything she could ever want. Like fine clothes and jewels and food and elaborate rooms. And all of this great stuff. And every night at dinner, she's asked by the beast to sleep with him. And she refuses. But in her dreams, she sees a handsome prince who she ends up falling in love with through her dreams. And she's convinced that he is held hostage in the castle. So she explores all the castle. And that's where she finds even more elaborate rooms, library included. And that's where she finds out that The servants are talking animals. We do not have animated household objects in this version. We have monkeys that speak with parrot interpreters. (laughs) If I knew this detail, you had better believe there would have been monkeys and parrots on one of my tables. Just saying. (laughs) Okay, so after a while, uh, Beauty becomes homesick and she's allowed to leave for two months. So when she comes back home, all her sisters are getting married, and all of them bros want to get with Beauty, and Beauty's like, no, I'm just here for your wedding. Calm the fuck down. So she returns to the palace after having a vision of the beast dying, which she is, and when she sees him dying, she realizes that she loves him, and then he transforms. But that's not where this story ends. In this story, the prince's mother all of a sudden returns home from war, Because she's a queen, literally a queen, she's not very happy with his choice of partner because she's not a noble woman. So then shit hits the fan there. And I'm literally going to lift this off the Wikipedia page because I could not even attempt to reword this and do it justice. So this is how the end of the story goes. Quote, The Beast, a prince, lost his father at a young age. His mother had to wage war to defend his kingdom and left him in the care of a rather evil fairy. The fairy attempted to seduce him as the prince became an adult, and when he refused, she transformed him into a beast until someone would agree to marry him without knowing his past or that he was intelligent. In a neighboring kingdom, Beauty is the daughter of a king and a different fairy. 
Beauty's mother broke the laws of fairy society by falling in love with a human, so she was sentenced to remain in the fairy land, and Beauty was sentenced to marry a hideous beast when she grew up. After Beauty's mother disappeared from Earth, the evil fairy unsuccessfully attempted to take Beauty's life and marry her father. Beauty's aunt, another good fairy, intervened and changed Beauty's place with the dead daughter of the merchant for Beauty's protection. Then placed the beast in a magically hidden castle until Belle grew up. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I like yes. that. I can dig it. It's confusing, I have to, but that's what you get that with fairies. Like six times, and I'm like, wait, wait. So Belle has a fairy child, and what? Yeah, I'm still not sure how I feel about that ending. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter how I feel about the ending, but yes. Uh, I'm actually not sure if that is the original ending or if this is uh, Beaumont's um, ending. The Wikipedia page does not make it clear, but just know that is one of the endings that they find out that Belle is actually like a fairy princess child. It's very strange. Anyway, we're going to move on to Beaumont's differences. She's the one that rewrote and abridged Beauty and the Beast. In the second rendition, it's shorter and there's less plot lines. Um, the merchant only has six kids, three daughters, and three sons. And that's the um, one that I'm most familiar with. Yeah. Um, this is actually the most popular and the most well-known version. Many people say that Beaumont is actually the author of Beauty and the Beast and not uh, Vilvo because this one is so well-known. <laughs> Um, so after coming to the palace, not under false pretenses, um, she is told that she is the mistress of the palace and that he will obey anything that she says. She doesn't go into any detail of any lavish living, and she quickly proceeds to the storyline of her returning home. Again, because it's shortened, so they mm -hmm. have to skip all this jargon. It has to skip to her falling in love with the beast. In this new rendition, she's only given a week to visit home and not two months. And in this one also, her sisters try to make her stay at home an extra week, hoping that the beast would come to their house and devour beauty in, their ang in his anger. So them bitches Why? just get bitchier. I fucking hate sisters, sisters in fairy tales. In yeah, are just the worst. It's just the worst. Legitimately the worst. So then when she returns to the castle, she finds him dying, realizes that he, she's in love, he transforms, blah, 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 they live happily ever after, probably no mention of fairies. Woo! <laughs> Fuck you, fairies. Fuck the fairies. All I can fairies think of... Fairies involved in a... <laughs> all I can think of is Supernatural and Dean screaming at Sam, fight those fairies. Oh it's one of my favorite episodes. Anyway... <laughs> so, when fairies get involved in anything you know there's most likely going to be trouble like fairies can't get involved in anything without it either being about them or getting really fucked like fucking shit up right you know shit is going to hit the fan when a fairy Basically. shows up you're like oh fuck not you <laughs> it was going so good until you came along yeah um, so I have a little bit more, and that's, we're going to talk about, like, the social commentary of Beauty and the mm -hmm. Beast. A lot of this stuff was brought up when the live-action version was coming out. So I found a ton of great quotes about 
the power of Beauty and the Beast and the power of mm-hmm. Belle slash Beauty and who she is as a character and how that's actually something that girls should aspire to be rather than looking at it through the lens of girl the fuck you doing so here's just um a few great quotes i found um in the original renditions what made it a fairy tale rather than a horror is beauty's consent and the respect of her consent that was a quote i got from one of the articles um because that could have super gone south yeah she wasn't respected and i love this quote too the most powerful force in Beauty and the Beast isn't magic or even love, but consent. Most retellings of Villain Vol's version are careful to keep it. And I think that's super important because Disney kind of took away that consent. Mm-hmm. In a way, the Beast didn't really have a, quite a redeeming arc that he does in the original stories. Yeah. So that's where we get into this whole, is it a romance or is it Stockholm Syndrome? And this is where I say context is everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. My notes tell me to read you a quote, but I'm a dumb Mm. bitch and I don't have that quote no more. Oh. (laughs) I'm not sure where it went. Can I find it? One eternity later. That's frustrating. Okay, anyway. So basically what... The thing I read said, and it's in one of the articles that I'm going to post links to, is that when Beaumont was rewriting this, she was writing it for the audience of girls 5 to 13 and having their governesses reading the story to them. And it was basically a tale of an arranged marriage and telling them not to be afraid when they go into these arranged marriages because their husband may look ugly and unintelligent and just a horrible person to be around. But if they stick it out and they look deeper and they truly get to know him, they'll realize that there's someone worth getting to know. So it was like this way to kind of assure young girls who are going into a similar situation as Belle. Beauty. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So what (laughs) modern readers don't get is that idea of arranged marriages. You know, we don't, we don't do them. And they're so uncommon, at least in Western culture, they're so uncommon that for us, when we look at Beauty and the Beast, we look at it as like a hostage situation and that you're falling in love with your captor. So that's why people are like, no, this is totally Stockholm because we're not looking through it in the original lens that it was supposed to be read through. And another thing I just want to touch on, too, is the abuse, violence, and temper of the Beast is really only found in the Disney version. You know, when he first, when her first night there, Beast is banging on her door and ordering her to come have dinner with him. That doesn't happen in the book. Mm -hmm. So, and him locking her in a jail cell and having Lumiere be the one to let her out, that's just showing that he's abusive. And that he's a violent person. It wasn't after he saved her life that she was like, oh shit, you're not all that bad. But the other beauties didn't have that that anguish to go through in order to be like, okay, you're not that bad. (laughs) Um, Oh, and so because Disney leaves all that in and kind of makes all of that, there's actually an article that I'm going to give links to called, like, Beauty of the Beast is the darkest Disney movie of them all. Yeah. And it talks also about, like, Gaston's role 
um, in that as well. Because Gaston is takes on the role of the brothers who said yeah. they're going to fight oh him. But he also takes the role of the sisters who are jealous. He is yeah. kind of like the conglomeration of all of her siblings that are missing from the Disney movies. Um, and then last thing I want to touch on is Beauty and the Beast compared to other fairy tales. In our first run through of Literally Dead, we did a whole episode on fairy tales. At least I did. <laughs> did a whole segment on um, grim fairy tales. So I read, I have this awesome quote, and it's about why Beauty and Belle, slash Belle, is so different from other fairy tale heroines, such as Cinderella or Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. And it literally boils down to the fact that she's not written by the Grimm brothers. This is the great quote I have. This article will also be up on the Facebook page. So it says, um, Beauty and the Beast doesn't come to us through the Grimm's. Uh, that's not right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right, but that's not right. Wow. Why do I suck so bad today? Oh, now I found that quote. It's fine. So much later that the old narrator got tired of waiting, and they had to hire a new one. Anyway, it's basically saying that because Beauty wasn't written by the Brothers Grimm, who actively took a role of not liking active women, um, that Belle is as relatable as she is. She was written to be a role model and someone for young girls to look up to, where the Brothers Grimm, I did read in the articles. So, like, for Cinderella, she went from having 12 lines in the first rendition of Cinderella to, after all the additions and edits, having, like, three or four lines. Because he didn't, they didn't like active women, and Belle is the exact opposite of the Grimm's um, heroines. And that's because, you know, there's not a guy riding in on a white horse breaking a curse for her. Belle is the one that is breaking the curse for the man. So she's like the complete 180. And a reason why she's my favorite of the library, which I'm super jealous of. Someday I'll have that library. (laughs) Um, And then I just want to leave it on this little note. This great, great quote. So it says, Today Beauty and the Beast is a way of talking about power, consent, and what constitutes inner beauty and who gets to have it. It's about what we think love is, who is worthy of it, and when we believe in it. So that's where I'm leaving off on my segment. Alrighty. That was La Belle hmm? et La Bette. Yeah? Sure. Sure. I don't speak French. That was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> All right. Give me two seconds. Okay. Did I exit out? Shit. I don't know how I did that. Hello? Hi. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, like, hung up on you. I was like... <laughs> Wow. It's fine. I don't know how that even happens. Did you start talking about anything? Because I was like, oh, they're still just doing their thing. And No, no, no. I heard the little beep go off and I was like, holy shit. Nope. All right. Okay. Give me two seconds because I have one last thing to pull off. Yeah. Not pull off, but pull up. Yeah, here we go. Okay, cool. Okay. This is like one of my favorite articles and I'm going to be giving it for the thing. Um, all right. So are you ready, Amanda? I'm going to preface this with something I told you last night. Uh-huh. 
I only knew who Ted Bundy was because they talk about it on Wanted Crime and because uh-huh. the Netflix special. I uh-huh. haven't watched it yet, but um, okay. I literally only know the name because of Wanted Crime. <laughs> so I am literally going into this so fucking blind. I don't I love think I'm ready. Go- <laughs> You're not ready. I love that you go into these blind with like a little like vague hint, a little whiff of what I've got for you <laughs> because it makes it's good. It's good. It, this is not good, basically, as a topic. And I do want to preface my section as, yes, I am talking about Ted Bundy. What does that have to do with Valentine's Day? It has to do with Valentine's Day and love because there's going to be a... <sighs> so, as many people are very familiar with, with each new, like, serial killer, um, with, like, new information about different killers, with new information information about this that and the other thing obviously groupies exist they pop up um ted bundy is unfortunately very famous for this because he does look all right he looks like a good man i am not going to say that isn't the truth but i what i do want to say here is that y'all gotta stop wanting to fuck serial killers <laughs> like that is the point blank here if even if he hasn't been like sentenced yet, even if they're still mid trial, you do not look at a guy who is up there for the murder of several women up to thirty six that he confessed to. Holy and shit! Then, yes, yes. So the whole I should give like a timeline of this. Let me see if I can find it for you because you don't know too much about it. I also um, feel like I need to say that I was because I knew Ted Bundy is who you're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. From context clues, you did not tell me outright. Um, but I was, you know, when you, you're on Netflix and it just like plays like kind of a preview. Yeah. So I was watching that because I'm like, I know Zach Efron is going to be in this. I think he's in that or a movie coming out. And I just wanted to like see the likeness between him and Zach Efron. And like, mm-hmm. I see where they were going. But at the same time, I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, how do people think he's attractive? Zac Efron yeah. is attractive. This guy is not attractive. So, His eyes are blue, mm-hmm. but so are 50 million other people's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. all I know about him is that he's handsome and he has blue eyes and then he killed a lot of people. That's my baseline. That's what I got. Yeah, so so the, the, the whole total here is he confessed to 30 murders. Um, and a lot of people think that the body count is over 100. There are so many what? murders that they could, they could, there's so many murders that they can potentially link him to, but he only confessed to 30. There were so many cases across the United States that police and investigators wanted to bring and wanted to put him on trial for because he moved throughout the United States. Like he started up in, um, oh God, I want to say Oregon. Give me a second. Give me a second. I only saw on the preview of, like, Utah, Oregon, and Colorado, yeah, yeah. or, like, so, the square state, the rectangle yeah. states, and I'm like, oh, I thought he was more prolific where he was all over the country and not just in three states. He, I could be really wrong. I don't know. There, it's, 
the three states are really where they have him pegged down as committing murders. Okay. Um, he's gone through several more where they're like, we have like gas station receipts or we have reports of a guy who looks like Bundy who came through here when this girl died. But be, they, like the evidence is circumstantial and they unfortunately put him to death before they could question him on a lot of different things. Oh. Um, yeah. So it was like Washington, Utah, um, and Florida really like where he hit up the most and florida is where he got got but there's also like there's so of many course it was florida yeah of course it was florida was there's florida. so many theories with bunny like one of the ones that i had read um was that he intentionally went to florida knowing that if he was caught he was going to be put to death for it like he like there's one of the the investigators remembers him talking to them about um like where is the death sentence still legal and then being like, maybe I should take a trip down to Florida. That's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super fucked up. Like, this man is the worst. He is the worst. And so with this new movie coming out, so the movie is directed by the same person that these new Netflix documentaries are from. Okay. Um, the name of the movie, in case no one really knows, I know everybody's been hearing about it, is Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Now, if you watch the trailer for this movie it looks like a fucking rom-com it looks like an action rom yeah yeah it looks like an action rom-com he's flitting about the like going around the courtroom winking saying all these ridiculous things like i've seen like the court tapes and shit like that and obviously he had this like he had this air of superiority to him and like people were charmed by him. That's so and, gross. Like, Ew. He was so fucking full of himself. Ew. I don't know how people sat in the same room with this fucker. Like I really do not. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it without fucking lunging across the table and trying to strangle him. Because, and the thing is, nobody was convinced that it was him because of how he looked, how he acted. He was a good man who went to law school. He would have been a great lawyer, people said. Like, after this whole entire thing, during one of the last trials, the judge, after indicting him for a murder, after several murders and putting him to, like, sentencing him to death, you know what he said? He stopped Ted Bundy before he left the room. There's videotape of this. And he's like, I'm sorry I don't get to work with you as a, like, as a person. You would have made a great lawyer. I'd have no animosity towards you. This man murdered 36 women. That is I do not disgusting. understand how you sit up there as a person of the law and go, I have no animosity towards you. I, I hate, do not understand it. I hate this already. We're not even yeah. five yeah. minutes in. I hate this already. I hate him. He's not that attractive. <laughs> and people who are, like, full of themselves, I really can't stand being around. So I really don't get it. Like, at all. Thank and you. And also, Thank you. that judge, I no, it's just disgusting. Like, I don't want to fucking. No. no. It's not good. The entire documentaries are fucking joke. Like, yeah, you get information, but you don't get information on, like, how he committed the crimes. You don't get information on, like, the nitty-gritty details, like, what he did to these women. Like, they don't even touch on the fact that he was a necrophiliac. Oh, like, he, oh shit. He, he, kept, he kept corpses. He kept heads. He threw heads into, like, 
oh my God, there's just so much he did that they did not touch on. And you know why they didn't touch on it? Because it's not romantic? That, but also he's just a white guy. Fair. He's a cis white guy. Fair. One of my favorite articles, and I am going to be pu- putting this into our link section for this week, um, is an article that was put out on the 28th of January um, of 2019. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to read you the entire article, obviously, but the title of it is Ted Bundy wasn't special or smart. He was just white. Oh, um, that's a great fucking title. Right? So my favorite quote from this, though, is who do we value more? The wisecracking, charming, well-dressed, well-educated, necrophiliac mass murderer, or the young woman? After watching these shows and the reactions, I'm not entirely sure. Sometimes I wonder if we just don't mind too much when young women get killed. Shots fired. Yeah. Savage. Yeah. Keep it going. I like this. It's just, it's just crazy. It's like, I... The tapes themselves are, I so I watched them. I sat down with um, our roommate Arcade and his boyfriend Joseph when we went up to Canada. Um, it was like eleven o'clock at night. We watched all four fucking tapes, and it was just I had to keep looking at him because I'm like, this is so fucking. Ted Bundy was so full of himself, and the only reason that he wasn't caught beforehand was because the police were just lazy. This guy, he escaped twice the first time because the police weren't keeping a good enough eye on him they let him use like the courthouse like libraries and shit and the guy like wet like left the room and so fucking ted bunny wasn't in like the waist cuffs he wasn't restricted at any point and he jumped out of the second floor window and escaped and it took them a while to catch him again like he had killed again most likely during this time and then the second time he was like he studied how like he he tricked the guards into thinking he was waking up later than he was um so they wouldn't come around quite early to like give him his food and he dug a like he burrowed out a hole in the top of his cell because he was the only person in the cell and there was one of the jailers like apartments above it and he was able to like get up there and like plan how to escape like depending on what times people were in it and yada 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 and it's like it's one of these things where people are like oh my god he was such an evil genius he escaped and like he did all these vile things and it's like he wasn't an evil genius people are just stupid <laughs> like it wouldn't have gotten that far like he oh, I gotta calm down. I gotta calm down for a second. Like, I was, I've been doing so much reading on this man that I cannot, I can't, I, I cannot stomach anymore. Like, after this, after I close all of my tabs for this podcast, I am gonna try and not think about Ted Bundy until the movie comes out, where I know everything's gonna come flooding back and I'm gonna have to be angry about it again. Um, it's funny because it's but, true. There was a article, and I'm going to find this again so I can put it in our link section again. There was an article after, like, one of his trials from the New York Times, by the way. Um, it was 1970s at some point. And you know what the title was? What? All American Boy Goes on Trial. Ew! Yeah, yeah. Fuck from the fucking Times. you! Let, Fuck let that. Me no. This is gross. And I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, All American Boy on Trial. It's from 1978. Um, and I'll read you a little excerpt from this so that you can see like how they they still talked about him this way. Everybody falls into Ted Bundy's trap. He was 
I don't even want to say he was good looking, but he he was. He was that gentle, charming, like, oh, I can, like, talk my way into anybody's. Like, he helped solve murders before this. Like, while he was doing his own act of murdering. Like, there's books about, like, the the Green River Killer or whatever. Um, And there's just so many people fall into this. And even, like, the guy who... <laughs> um, the director, uh, Joe Berlinger, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and I'm sorry, Joe, but I'm also not because you're an asshole. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. care. I really don't. I love um, it. I basically, love so, so ever ever since this like trailer come out, came out, and everybody's been watching it, and basically going, "You're glorifying Ted Bundy." Um, he's like, no, that's a very naive and knee-jerk reaction. But it's like, again, he didn't talk about the victims that much. He, ne- he like, talked to people who worked with Bundy. He talked to people that, like, worked on sentencing Bundy. He talked to, like, not, he didn't talk to Bundy himself. But, like, he, like, reviewed everything. And when you're a director, especially when you're, like, doing a documentary, not just, like, a biopic. When you're doing a documentary, you are the curator of that history you are curating a very specific piece of media about a very specific point in time about a very specific person and you are now controlling the narrative that one gets to see and it is a piece of media that many people are going to see like books okay people are going to read them newspapers people are gonna read them a movie is gonna reach people especially if you have enough like money behind it and it's just one of the things it's especially when you come into like play with like serial killers and dark history such as this it is imperative that you talk about everything you cannot focus on the killer himself that is what he wanted especially with ted bundy you need to focus on what he did he may be the central player here but just because he's the central player doesn't mean you need to put him on a pedestal like all of these people that were talking about him in the documentary like there's one guy that's like oh i think he got these ideas from me it's like why are you saying it that way also like all these people are like yeah and like there's they have the the video of when he got the like the death sentence indictment and the like the the person who was giving it to him got a big like it wasn't even really a press conference they had all these cameras they walked him out of his cell no handcuffs he was able to walk around and the guy just reads him off the sentence like he was so fucking proud of himself for finally sentencing ted bundy and ted bundy knew that he was doing this for the like the 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 glory and the bullshit like he knew it he like kept looking at the cameras he kept looking at the guy who's walking around walking around and he's fine like half the time he's trying to cut him off and he's like well do i get to talk now you've got all the press here and you've been talking forever it should be my turn to talk and it's like no ted you're fucking dead i'm sorry but not should have been dead a long time ago (laughs) glad you're dead because you deserve it and then that was another thing with the tapes um and it's that was something that I'm kind of glad they kept in, but it was just crazy because it's like this is something I'll bring in later on. But one of the st- one of the books that I read for my thesis was um, Everybody Loves a Good Trainwreck, Why You Can't Look Away. Mm-hmm. And that's really like we want to see 
death and disaster happen, but we don't want to live it. We have the sick curiosity, at least a lot of us do, with looking and seeing, but not being affected by it in an emotional or personal way. When people would watch like public ex- executions in the past, it was a big event. People went to go see it. Um, and they took the film from outside of the Florida prison where Ted Bundy was executed. And they, there was just so many like just young guys like excited about this killer going to the electric chair. Yeah, they had no, too. yeah, they had no Smokers. like real connection. They were like selling burn Bundy burns t-shirts. Um, but and get me one of those so, t-shirts because I know I, I do want I do want one of those t-shirts. Um, but like I was like they had nothing to do with that. People like the people as a species really just love to see somebody who should pay for something pay for it, but they don't necessarily have the right connections to it. This is where dark tourism really gets like into a tricky like situation because at some point you cross the line between i am watching this to heal i am experiencing this experiencing this to heal or to study and then there's just i'm experiencing this to uh to party yeah i just want to get drunk and talk about it and be like yeah i was there it was there when they put ted or ted in the fucking electric chair like cool. All right. What connection do you have, hon? Like I I don't like it. Don't yeah, like no. It. It's it's not good. It's not good. That's a big and nope just, for me. Yeah, it's a big nope. No, no. And so one of the one of the biggest things with Ted Bundy's whole thing too is that he denied. He vehemently denied all of these murders. Um up what? until like a little bit before his death, yeah, he denied them before until before his death. But he wanted the um, death penalty. Yeah, no, it, How it's does that it's make very sense? much. <laughs> um, he like he didn't he didn't say that he wanted the death penalty while he was on trial for all of these things. He said like, it that afterwards. Was like, it was he didn't ask for the t- death penalty himself. He was given it. Well, um, right, but like cool, he went to a state. That yeah. had the death penalty, Where, presumably because he wanted the death penalty. That's my yeah. speculation and assumption. Yeah. And that's that's something that I really believe that he was probably doing. He's gross. Um, so he denied this up until like a year or so before his his execution. And he kept trying to like extend and extend and extend his life because he, he wanted to keep going with this. Um, but it just it just didn't. And there's a few quote, like there's a few quotes from him that I just, like I was looking at several different books. There's no so besides these articles for me, there is no required reading this week. There's no books. Um, a lot of what I pulled from, or a lot of what I got from like bits and pieces of books that I read, were just very much like overviews of like who he was and yada yada yada. And a lot of, a lot of things unfortunately just suck his dick. <laughs> Like, for a lack of a better word, and I'm so tired of it. But one of the quotes that they started with from Ted Bundy were, or was, We serial killers are your sons. We are your husbands. We are everywhere. And there will be more of your children dead tomorrow. And a lot of things that Ted Bundy said, uh, like, once he finally kind of admitted to this, or even before that, when he was playing, like, oh, whoever your killer is, you can bet that, like, you can add, like, digits behind that oh my 
God. Where it's going to be in the hundreds. Yeah. Like, he was ick. He was a fucking asshole. No. Like, he was completely wrapped up in this thing that, like, you may have me, but you're not having me. He's so and he gross. got away with it because people didn't believe him. People or believe that it could be him. People let their guard down because he, like, talked kind of nice. He went to law school. He looked crisp and clean. He didn't look like the monster that you want a serial killer to be. And I hate that that's what people focus on. So he was, like, an educated, middle-class white man. Yes, he was. And then people right. try to blame it on his childhood. Like, he didn't know who his father was. Oh, go um, fuck yourselves. So right? many people right? don't know who their father is, and they're not fucking murderers. Oh, yeah. my God. Like, he, he didn't know who his father was. Only a fucking um, Supposedly, he saw, like, porn when he was a kid. He saw, like, um, he got bullied in high school. And it's like, I got fucking bullied all through high school. I lost my dad when I was 17. I'm not going around fucking murdering women. Like, that's just not something a person does, no matter what your fucking childhood is. Cry me a fucking like, river, Ted Bundy. You're not <laughs> getting any fucking sympathy over here. Holy Basically, shit. Basically, like, you... It's it's so much. It's so much. Anyway, so the title of love and romance was the romanticization... Romanticization? Romanticism? Ro- romanticism that's the word for it i hope you can't keep all of those fuck ups in (laughs) Um, the romanticism of ted bundy and people like him because i'm gonna probably talk about this on another episode with jeffrey dahmer because (sighs) i hate that i hate that i have to say this but like everybody kind of has their favorite serial killer that they like to study they don't it's true h.h holmes is mine h.h holmes is so good he started my like no, he's not so good. Why did I say that? <laughs> Amanda. He's no, a good um, example of a dick bag. He's a good He is such a good example. God, he's such a dumbass. Um like I I really liked reading about Jeffrey Dahmer. But there's still there's groupies for every serial killer. I hate it. And Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy are some of the biggest ones because they look half all right. Oh, um so gross. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's there's like that there's that show on Netflix, Dark Tourist, and they actually um, the narrator goes on a a Dahmer tour Um, and the women there kind of explain like we kind of like fixing people. And I think that's why we're like attracted. Yeah, that was so gross. It was so gross. And it's definitely something as a society that we need to fix because one, women don't have to fix men. Two, women don't have to fix anybody. And three, we should all stop trying to fix serial killers. Right. They could not be fixed. It's true. There is something it's wrong. It's true. Like, <sighs> there's... I'm not going to get into this right now. There's... there's, there's. We're going to not get into this right now. Anyway, I'm going to stop there. Okay. This will be a shorter episode. I think it's going to be around 40. But Probably. I love you guys. That's my Valentine's treat to you is my love to you. Thank you for listening to me get angry about Ted Bundy. Because now I can close all of my tabs on yes. Google. Um, and that's my present to myself. I feel like I need to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. so gross. I hate yeah. him. Yep. And not to, not to, I don't know what people like. 
don't really care what you like, but damn, no, please find something else if yes if he's please oh my god please please find something else get a fucking hobby (laughs) learn how to cross stitch learn how to knit stop wanting to fuck serial killers if y'all want to learn how to improve your life hit me up and i will do a youtube (laughs) series on how to cross stitch because shit's fun nice so i oh my god i feel like i need a palette cleanser why are you sending me pictures of fucking ted bundy oh you're sending me i'm sending you my links okay okay that's fair this is the one that i'm sending right here this one right there that is the one that has the quote in it got it yeah oh shit oh shit what (sighs) i forgot I forgot something that I wanted to talk about, um, and I don't know if you, you can already, edit it in. You but there already was... closed the tabs, Sheila. Let's not. We can't go I down the rabbit I hole. I didn't. I didn't close the tabs yet. Uh, oh, I did close that tab. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, you could put it on like the Facebook page if you remember it, or Twitter. Yeah, or that's Tumblr. Fine. I mean, it's in one of these. Yeah. Oh, I sent that one twice here. That's fine. I'll close that one up. All right. Well, we love you guys. Yes, we do. Happy Valentine's Day. Um. Look out for a Valentine's Day surprise. There might be one. There will hopefully be one for you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't even know what the surprise is. Yeah, you don't. But um, check back on Valentine's Day itself for a fun little literally dead Valentine's Day gift. Woo! Woo! Surprise! All right. So next week we are again selecting our own rather than doing the random number generator yes. because Amanda's very excited about doing true crime. Yes. <laughs> so next week will be true crime. Um, so hold on to your socks for that one, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in in between and out of the spectrum. Guys, you're not cannot... you're not ready for next week. I love yeah. my topic for next week. Yes, <laughs> not next week. All right. Well, the week after next. Two weeks from you now. You know what we mean. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night, everybody. Good night. We'll see you on the flip Goodbye. side. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. If you want more Literally Dead, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Literally Dead. You can find us on Tumblr under the same name. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss or ideas for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, email us at literallydeadpodcast at gmail.com.